0: Okay, you can be opening up your Bibles to Mark chapter 13. We'll be continuing our study there. And uh, I know we have a lot of young people in here today. So, young people, I have a question for you. Well, how do you you fix a cracked pumpkin? A pumpkin patch, right? Why should you always knock before you open a refrigerator door? Somebody's got to know that one. What? Well, there might be a salad dressing. Oh, okay. A couple of dad jokes, I know. Well, you don't have to listen to me for very long. I'm I'm not long. All right, I'm opening up in Mark chapter 12. We'll be reading in verse 41. And it says, Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury, and many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrants, he called his disciples to himself, and he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance. But she put in, she out of her poverty put in all that she had. Her whole livelihood. So if you've been in our class the last few weeks, we, you know we are in the last week of Jesus' earthly life. This is Tuesday where he's been teaching in the temple and he's been addressing the doctrine of the religious leaders and their practices and at the end of the day as the last incident this is the last incident of his public ministry he's outside observing the people putting the money into the treasury and this would have been outside in the women's court there are approximately thirteen receptacles where they could provide their money and uh, had different they would be labeled for different things you know of the, of the temple work and so forth and. He's watching the people put money in the treasury. And he sees many rich who are putting in large amounts. They're giving a large amount of money. And then he sees this woman who comes in, a poor woman, who puts in just two mites. And he calls his disciples together. He says, assuredly, I say to you, it's very important, he wants them to hear this. He's saying, this woman has given more because she's given all. Yes, the rich, those who have means, have given. They've given a lot, but they've given from their abundance. This woman has given all that she had. A mite was a very small amount. It was very small. It was worth a quadrant, which was about a one sixty-fourth of a denarius. A denarius being what was called a day's wage at the time. And so, if you converted that to our currency, say a day's wage was twenty-five dollars, a quadrant would have been seventy-five cents, and a mite would have been 40 cents be even less than that not much to give to the Treasury right but this woman gave all that she had she gave all uh, from her means from everything that she had she was poor yet she had no problem giving it to the Lord what can we take from this what kind of lesson can we take from what she did here I want you to notice there Jesus called his disciples to himself at this point it's very important to him for them to hear this and By them hearing it for us right we needed to hear it too we here in 2023 need to understand this lesson yeah it seems kind of simple doesn't it it seems kind of small it doesn't seem all that great a lesson to hear but Jesus wanted them to hear it it was very important for them to do that the value of a gift we should remember God measures our giving not by how much we give but really by how much we don't give. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about what it really means to give of yourselves, of your money? It's not so much about how much you give. What are you giving? What is, where is that coming from? From the heart, right? Why are you holding back? Why are you holding back? We know what happened when Ananias and Sapphira, right? Uh, They held back and they lied about it. They didn't want people to know that they had not given all, right? What does that matter to God? Well, what matters to God is the person. It's not about the money. It's not about the amount you give. It's what that person is doing. Does it come from the heart? Have they actually given themselves over to the Lord? Have they denied themselves and taken up their cross? We read about that back in Mark chapter 8. This woman today, you know, might be ridiculed, right? She might be considered a vagrant, you know, homeless person. Uh, Someone who's living on the welfare of the Israel's, you know, Israel's effort, the welfare system. Her voluntary poverty is just an example of that kind of thing, right? Jesus was showing folks that this is good. What she's doing is she's giving to the Lord. Jesus was kind of like her, actually, right? Jesus chose a life of poverty. Did Jesus have riches? Did he have a lot of wealth? No. All he had was his shirt on his back, Right? And his sandals. That was basically it. He chose a life of poverty to be an example for us. He canceled some to even do the same to serve his disciples. Remember, he said to the rich young ruler, Sell all that you haven't given to the poor, and come follow me.' He couldn't do it. He loved his wealth too much. Voluntary poverty is a viable option. Oh, we look at that today and say, uh, you know, you can't live that way. How do you live? You need to have means. You need to save." You need to save up for your retirement and and have an abundance so you can live long and prosperous. And and that's a good thing. I'm not jumping on that. Uh, I've, I've had that in my life. But what he's saying is, if you're not living in a way that you've given yourself over to him completely, then maybe you need to reconsider, right? Maybe you need to think about how you're actually living your life. Jesus is still watching people today just like he did in Ananias and Sapphira he knows the heart right the Lord will know the cheerful givers will be noticed as well and so the whole moral you might say the summary of the story is it's not about what you give but where it's coming from and I'll tell you this if your heart's where it is you're not gonna have a problem giving. in fact that's gonna be the first thing you do right when you get that paycheck The first thing you're gonna do is you're gonna pay God not pay God but you're gonna give God even if it's out of your abundance because your heart is where it should be that's the lesson here and Jesus wanted to make sure the disciples knew it and not only the disciples but us as well what a glorious lesson to learn what a glorious lesson from two mites a poor widow with two mites interesting concept right and remember we were just talking about how he was blasting the scribes who devoured the widows houses and so forth and here's a widow who just gave everything she had interesting concept right interesting segue into that all right well as we're continuing on we're now going to get into chapter 13 and we're going to get into what's called the Olivet Discourse he's going to move to the Mount of Olives and looking over the temple he's going to begin to talk about some things that are to come. He's going to become a prophet. Well, he already was a prophet. But he's going to predict some things that are going to happen. And it's going to be, it's a very difficult passage to understand. You really need to study it. And we're going to try to go through that. We're not, we don't have enough time to really study it in depth. But we'll try to go over a little bit. And I'll give you uh, some opinions of others as well. But I'll try to talk about what I believe on this. And I, would, I, think it's good. I think it's true. I think it's accurate. But we'll look at it. Let's begin in Mark 13, verse 1. It says then as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, "Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here." And Jesus answered to, to and said to him, "Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another; that shall not be thrown down." Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, "Tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled?" I want you to notice that verse, what they say there, the question that is asked. He says, Tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? Verse 5, And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will deceive many. But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled. For such things must happen, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. But watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for testimony to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Now brother will betray another brother to death, and a father his child and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. So when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let the reader understand, and let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, that him who is on the house top, not go down into the house, nor enter to take anything out of the house, and let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant, and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter, for in those days there will be a tribulation such as has not been seen since the beginning of the creation, which God created, until His time, nor ever shall be. And unless the Lord has shortened these days, no flesh will be saved, but for the elect's sake, whom He chose. He's short in the days. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, he is there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. But take heed, see, I have told you all things beforehand. All right, this is a very challenging passage in the Bible. Uh, This is Jesus and his disciples, they're on the Mount of Olives, looking over Jerusalem, looking over the temple and he begins to talk about the temple, right? And how not, stone, not one stone will be left upon another. And there's a little bit of a difficulty trying to understand exactly what he's talking about here. But we have, we have the benefit of hindsight a little bit. We know how history played out. At this time, the Christians, the disciples, the Jews, none of them knew what was gonna happen, right? in of course, the disciples are hearing this and they're probably wondering, well, what's he talking about? What are these signs gonna, what's gonna happen? Well, there are many who believe these uh, events relate to a couple of different things. First off, people will say this is talking about his second coming. Some will say that. Others will say this is actually talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. Destruction of Jerusalem occurred in AD 70. The temple was destroyed. All the artifacts of the temple were taken back to Rome. Uh, Titus took them back with him as he was returning and uh, was able to do that. Some will say, though, that it's talking about both. In fact, there's disagreements on that even. Some say you don't know if he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem or if he's talking about the second coming. Some say, well, the first part that I just read is about the destruction of Jerusalem. The second part, which we'll read in a moment, is talking about the second coming. Lots of different various uh, views on this. What I want to lay out to you is I believe this is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. And here's some reasons why. First of all, we've just finished the parables that he's given while he was teaching in the temple on that Tuesday, right? Mark gave the account of the parable of dresser, right? How the dresser was the son there. He's killed by the, the those that are being. And he's talking about the rulers, talking about the leaders, the Israelites. He's basically talking about the nation of Israel. In Matthew's account, you get two more. You get the parable that includes the, he includes the parable of the two sons, the one who said he would go out to work in the field and didn't, and the one who said he would not work in the field and did. Which is interpreted to mean between the Israelites and then the Gentiles. And then you have the parable of the wedding feast. When the king went, sent out to, to bring those to the wedding and those were working in the farm or doing this and that and they didn't want to come. And so he said, go out and just invite others. And others came into the wedding feast. That was talking about Israelites who rejected Jesus. And so he's saying, invite everybody else, invite the others. All these parables are alluding to the fact that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. That the Jewish traditions are going to be pass away. That the Old Testament is going to be nailed to the cross. Well, they don't know this yet, but we can see that backwards, right? We understand how that plays out. Of course, he condemns the scribes and the Pharisees. Their, their way they are pretentious about the way they walk around in their robes and their and their garments and how they take the high places and they sit in the prominent places at the banquets and the feasts. And when they're in the synagogue they take the, the high rolls, right? And then of course his lamentations over Jerusalem, which we see a little bit in Mark but we also see in Matthew a very long lamentation, woe to you who killed the prophets persecuted the prophets that were sent to them to tell them the things of God and yet they rejected them just like They're rejecting him. He gives the prophecy about the temple, right? After the disciples show him this great building, he says, There's not going to be one stone that will be left on another. It will be destroyed. And they ask the question, Well, when will this happen? Two questions. Mark gives the account. He says, When will be the signs, and what will be the signs that these will be fulfilled? Well, okay, good question. Are they asking about the destruction of Jerusalem? Or are they actually asking about the second coming of Christ, which they don't fully understand, anyways? But I want you to notice this count and Luke's account were written more for the Gentiles, right? Those that did not necessarily understand all the Old Testament law, the traditions of the Jews, the commands. And so they're saying, okay, I can see that. When will these things be fulfilled? I don't, I don't know anything about. What the Jewish tradition is, or when the law is going to end, but I can understand what he's talking about if he says fulfilled. But Matthew has a little different thing. In Matthew's question, he says, When will these things occur, and what will be the end of the age? Interesting. Matthew gives a little bit of a different question there. Why do you think that is? Matthew's account is more directed to the Jews, the Jewish Christians, those who are of the Jewish tradition under the law. Under the Old Testament who had now believed in Jesus as the Christ and they're seeing the temple being destroyed as the end of the Jewish age if the temple's destroyed God is not with us anymore that's how they would view that right so it's an interesting comments interesting way to look at that mark and Luke give that question a little different so what is he saying the sign in the end of the times will be as well what will not be the sign he says don't be deceived there will be many who claim to be the Christ. Don't believe them. There will be troubles, there will be earthquakes, famines, pestilence. He says, "But these are just tribulations. They're not the sign that's going to show its time for it to occur." They are to anticipate these times, and there will be those who will be persecuted. There will be those who will be killed. We know that happened. Uh Emperor Nero around 64 AD. What was he doing? He was killing Christians right and left. Yeah, there was some nasty stuff going on. You think you have it hard now as a Christian? (laughs) First century, it was tough. Many of these things have to occur before before the end comes. So, he also says the love of many will grow cold. Unfortunately, because of these tribulations, because of these things that are going to occur, he says many will fall away. But what's he referring to here? He's referring to the end of the age is referring to the second coming well he also mentioned something there that says the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations hmm. has that occurred well I'm not gonna have time to go read about Colossians 1 23 Paul says it's been preached to every nation under the Sun according to Paul it had this before 70 AD so that apparently occurred before that destruction occurred Also, Romans 10, you can read about that in 16 through 18. According to Paul, it had happened. Therefore, what will be the sign that it is about to occur? And he talks about the abomination of desolation. That's a big phrase, right? What in the world is he talking about? Well, in Daniel 9, we can read about that, the desolation. But actually, if you go over to Luke 21, in fact, let's do that real quick. He tells us what it is. Luke 21. And uh, verse uh, 20, he says, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is there. Oh, interesting. Well, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart, and let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of the vengeance, that all things which are written may be, full, full, may be fulfilled but woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babes in those days, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Interesting how Luke explains it. It's when the armies have Jerusalem surrounded. Well, what happened in history? Titus' armies, the Roman army, surrounded Jerusalem. And he said when you see that it's time to go and don't go back to the house don't take your stuff just get out and he said woe to those who are pregnant or nursing babies that time. woe to those if it's on the sabbath because the gates would have been closed at that point be hard to get out of the city in that case interesting the christians that were jews probably had a good idea of what he was talking about there about what he was saying well We know that the Old Testament was nailed to the cross when Jesus died. And we know at 8070, that's pretty much the end of the Jewish practices today. You know, the Jewish nation no longer existed until 1948 when Israel was set up. They got a a nation again through uh, the British mandate, through the Allies after World War II and all that stuff. Don't want to get into it. And, of course, that's causing a lot of the problems today, you know, with the terrorists and all that stuff. But the point is, that was the end of it You don't have a temple in Jerusalem anymore. You don't have the Levitical practices going on there that occurred. That all passed away because now we have the ultimate sacrificial lamb, Jesus Christ, our Lord. All right. So when they see that, they are to flee to the mountains. They're to get out of there, for there will be great tribulation. And he says to pray that their flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. He says, Luke, and Luke even specifies the nature of that tribulation, but I want to give you an interesting account. There was a Jewish general who was taken captive by the Romans just prior to this destruction who wrote about this, and we have that till today. And he offered this summary. He says, All the calamities which had befallen any nation from the beginning of the world were small in comparison to those of the Jews. In that siege of Jerusalem, no no fewer than 1.1 million people perished. It was during the time of the Passover when more than three million Jews. Were assembled in Jerusalem in surrounding provinces there were probably a quarter of a million probably were slain about 97,000 were taken captive some killed by beasts in the Roman theater remember Christians were fed to the lions in the Colosseum right we know about that some sent to work in Egypt others sold as slaves this comes from Josephus we can read about that in his in his Jewish Wars but the elect were the Christians who were spared they knew to look for this, right? They knew that this was coming. The Jews in the city did engage the Romans in battle. And Titus, the Roman general, eventually attacked the city. He was called back to Rome. So he had to end the siege. and he had, to, had to bring something back to show the spoils of what he'd done, right? But Jesus said, don't be misled by the false Christ. Don't be looking for the things that are not going to show it. It's when that abomination of desolation occurs, when those armies have it in, uh, surrounded. So so far, this passage depicts a local, escapable judgment, not a worldwide, inescapable judgment. It's simply talking about that end time, the end of the Jewish age, when the temple is destroyed. Eusebius, who was, lived around 300 AD, wrote in his ecclesiastical history that Christians heeded the warnings. They knew to look for this. The prophecy that Jesus has made in Matthew 24 and Mark 13. And they fled Jerusalem when it was surrounded by the Roman army. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that awesome to think about that that actually occurred? All because of what Jesus said here. All right. Well, now we're going to get to the even more difficult passage. Let's read on there in verse 13, beginning in verse 24. But in those days, after that tribulation... The sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with the great power and glory. And then he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest part of the earth to the farthest part of heaven. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that it is near, at the doors. Surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch therefore for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. In the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning. Lest, coming suddenly, he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. All right. Here we are in the second half of this discourse. Now things get a little more difficult you might say he's got some interesting language he's using here right well is this talking about the destruction of Jerusalem or is he now segued into a prophecy of his second coming interesting many say yes that's what has happened here many say he is now talking about when he's going to return and the things that are going to occur but I want you to remember what were the parables we just studied right we just stated about how he is blasting the religious leaders and their pretentiousness, and the way they destroyed uh, God's law and the way they've perverted it and hurt the people because of it. The Jews are less for it, and how Israel has rejected him. How the nation is going to be judged because of that, and how the gospel is now going to be spread to all, not just the Jews but to the Gentiles remember the Jewish religion was a very exclusive religion the Jews were it right they were not even to eat with the Gentiles you remember Peter even a few years later had to be told again he could eat the unclean food got abomination of desolation. they they were to understand what that was Luke explained that to be the armies that were surrounded and they were to flee Well, what happens next? What happens after this, right? The events after the tribulation of those days. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give us light. Power in heaven will be shaken. Wow. That sounds pretty powerful, right? That sounds pretty wild. They will see the Son of Man coming on clouds of heaven with power and glory. And the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And all the tribes of earth will mourn. Hmm. The elect will be gathered great sound of the trumpet and the angels will be sent and they'll gather the elect from the four winds from the farthest part of the earth farthest part of heaven certainly sounds like the second coming doesn't it and it may well be it it sounds like what we're going to witness when that joyous glorious time occurs right but is that what he's really talking about it's interesting that he says these events will occur immediately after the tribulation of those days well we know what happened in 70 AD we know that there was a great tribulation at that time that the Jews were killed many killed through the battle of the, of, from Titus of from the Romans and that many Christians had to flee the city to get away if this were to come right after that that would mean Jesus coming was going to occur at that point did that happen no we're still here right it has not occurred yet the sun has not been darkened the moon has not stopped its light in other words these are connected in time this passage in the beginning of chapter 13 is connected to the second part of chapter 13 it's not separate it's not a separate event in my opinion i believe that this is still talking about the destruction of jerusalem one of the reasons i'll say that too is i know this sounds like when he says to see the son of man coming when these things occur it sounds like a second coming when the trumpet sound But this is not the only time this language has been used. If you will, turn over to Isaiah chapter 13 with me. And let's read something that Isaiah predicted and see how he worded that. It's very interesting. Isaiah chapter 13. And this is a prophecy of the destruction of Babylon. Remember, Babylonian captivity. The Jews were in captivity, were made captive of King. First Nebuchadnezzar and then Darius with the Persian kingdom and so forth. All that occurred. Verse 6, Isaiah says, Well, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore all hands will be limp. Every man's heart will melt and they will be afraid. Pangs and sorrows will take hold of them. They will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. They will be amazed at one another. Their faces will be like flames. Behold, the day of the Lord comes. Sounds like the judgment, right? Cruel with both wrath and fierce anger to lay the land desolate, and he will destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. Hmm. Well, he's talking about destruction of Babylon when the stars will not give their light. The sun will be darkened in its going forth, and the moon will not cause its light to shine. Sounds familiar. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will halt the arrogance of the proud, and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. I will make a mortal more rare than fine gold, a man more than a golden wedge of Ophir. Therefore I will shake the heavens, and the earth will move out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts, and in the day of his fierce anger. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Kind of like what he said there in Matthew 24, Mark 13. But he's talking about Babylon. He's not talking about the second coming. He's not talking about the destruction of the temple. Turn over to Amos. Chapter 8 there. Let's see what Amos had to say about a prophecy. Amos chapter 8, verse 9. This is a prophecy of Israel. And it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord God, that I will make the sun go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in broad daylight. See, understand, these are words and phrases that were used in prophecy to depict a terrible time to come, a tribulation, not necessarily the second coming, not necessarily anything other than to say, this is going to be a terrible time. Be aware, know that it's coming, all right? <coughs> the Jewish prophets foretold God's judgment upon such nations with that figurative way of saying it, right? Therefore, I say that this is still talking about the destruction of Jerusalem does use the parable of the fig tree. talks about the new branches, the leaves, meaning summer is near. When you see these things, time is near. This will happen before this generation passes away. Wait a minute. Has that generation passed away? Well, yeah. Many, many generations have passed away. But the destruction of Jerusalem happened within 40 years of this. Well, about 70 years of this one, but 40 years of the generation that was there makes sense doesn't it? words of Jesus come to pass the heaven and earth shall pass away one day but Jesus words will by no means pass away he says of that day only the father knows many believe at this point that Jesus begins to talk about a second coming there in verse 32 (coughs) my opinion is that this is still talking about the destruction of Jerusalem still talking about the fact that these things are going to occur in this generation's time but i also believe that this is a foreshadowing of his coming disciples don't understand that yet they still don't fully understand he's going to die he's telling them but they don't get it yet you remember peter even after he's taken captive he denies him "Ah, i don't want any of this you know it wasn't until that resurrection it wasn't until they saw for sure they knew what he was talking about. <clears throat> My opinion is that all of that discourse alludes, well, it describes the destruction of Jerusalem, how the Jewish age will end, pass away, the Christian age begins with the great Passover lamb. Admittedly, it's very hard to understand, and there's lots of different opinions out there, and you're going to see, in fact, if you've been watching TV, you've probably seen some commercials about the rapture, right? because the terrorism that's going on in Israel their opinion is that's going to means the tribulation before Jesus is to come and set up a kingdom here on earth reign for a thousand years but the point is he's coming and so you don't have to understand this fully, it's not going to affect your salvation one way or the other other than the fact that you just believe and know he's coming and these things have occurred, right? that's there for your faith for your help for your understanding that he is king and he's reigning in his kingdom right now and that's going to be forever it will never pass away what a glorious comfort and joy we should get from that right well that i love the part two where it says the christians knew this was coming and they hightailed it out of there can you imagine, though? And you might have saw the Jews, so where are they going? Where are you going? Can you imagine what that was like? Crazy stuff. I love to read those things. All right, we're running out of time. Let's move on real quick. i got to go to Mark chapter 14 and read a few passages here. Beginning in verse 1, it says, After two days it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes saw how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask, of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But, they were, but there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish. You may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She's done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Surely I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? And he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. There, make ready for us. So his disciples went out and came into the city and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the over. All right, we have four preparatory acts here. Following the Olivet Discourse, there in Mark 13, now the gospel is turning his attention to the events that are going to lead up to his betrayal. The first 16 verses of Mark 14 tell tell of four preparatory acts, two that are done in opposition, two that are done in service to Jesus right first you read about the plot of the leaders they've been plotting for a while this isn't the first time they'd thought about this remember back in chapter 3 they were seeking a way to kill him and they think we got to get him while he's here but we don't want to do it during the feast because it might cause a ruckus we don't want to cause a ruckus we just want to kind of take him quietly get him out of there so we don't have to worry about him anymore because they feared the people Well. Despite their intent, things didn't play out exactly like they had hoped. Right, Read about that in Acts 2. Their plot's going to be carried out really quicker than they intended. But before that occurs, we also read about him being prepared for his burial. At a house in Bethany, home of Simon the leper, who's probably the father of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Remember, he's been there before. Been there teaching. He's been there raising Lazarus. John identifies that woman as Mary, of course, but it's different than the Mary that was a, pouring out some oil on him before. Remember that one back in Luke 7? Mary anoints Jesus, using an alabaster jar, suspends the perfume, breaks the perfume, and puts it over his head. Rubs out with her hair. Disciples condemn her for it. That thing's worth 300 denarii. In other words, that's worth 300 days' wages, almost a year's worth of work. Jesus says, let her do it. She's preparing me for my burial. She's doing a good thing. And that because of that, she will be memorialized. And that's how we know about it. Read about it here. You read about it in John and Matthew, right? She was memorialized, just like it said there in Mark. Just like it said there in the passage. She is remembered for preparing Jesus for his burial. Interesting concept, right? Then we move back to Judas. We have Mary doing a good thing, preparing for his burial. And then we have um, Judas heading out to betray him. For 30 pieces of silver, for crying out loud. Things are happening, and they're happening quick. And we know what's going to happen. And then eventually they have to get ready for the Passover feast. Passover lamb has to be sacrificed. This is probably Thursday of that last week that's where are we gonna do this Jesus says go into the city there are men carrying a pitcher of water he either knew that by divine intervention or maybe they prepared that ahead of time I, I don't know disciples didn't know they go into the city remember how they found the donkey when he came into the city kind of like that he told them go in there and find a donkey tied and when you ask, the people say what are you doing just tell them this is for the Lord and they'll know interesting isn't it lovely you find it they find an the upper room in the house and it's prepared for them. They just, they're ready to go. Everything's there. The Lord's taking care of it. With these preparatory acts, now the stage is set. <clears throat> Jesus gets to keep the Passover and for Jews to betray him to the chief priest for the crucifixion and death that is to come. We're in that last week. We're coming down to the last few days. And I want you to keep in mind that Jesus is, is now about to do that great work that he came to earth to do so this is we'll be taking that up in the next few weeks and we'll continue into january finishing up with mark probably at the end of january but i want you to keep in mind one thing jesus christ is lord and as we come to the end of this year i want to read a passage to you real quick it says isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 he says for unto us a child is born unto us a son is given And the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's Isaiah's prophecy. 700 years before he was born. As you're gathered with your families this weekend, today and tomorrow and so forth, and that's a wonderful thing and I hope you have a fabulous time. But I hope you'll take a moment to think about who your lord is why he came to earth and that he is the crux of the matter and he literally went to the cross for you time is up thanks for being here